Welcome, everyone. Thank you so very much for joining me today for another episode of Talking Cloud. Boy, I'm excited about our episode today. It's really going to be a good one. You know, this is where we talk about cloud, everything cloud, cloud security, cloud compliance, concerns, issues, you know, all the things that you should be thinking about as you move your workloads into the public cloud. Now, listen, as you know, I'm no expert, but I know where to find experts and people that really understand various aspects of the cloud, the industry, just some great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you'll share and tell your friends and you'll be back again and again and again. With that, I'm going to get started. So today, you know, I've got another veteran of the industry. And in fact, I've known this guy for a long, long time. Uh, it's pretty amazing how uh, well he's done. Not that it's amazing. He's a great guy. But you're going to get to hear from, from Jay. He's got a long storied career in the business and now is extremely active in the security space and in particular cloud security. And I'm going to let him tell you all about it. So I'm uh, very proud to announce today I have the managing partner with Clear Sky Security, Jay Lee. Thanks, Grant. I think you might have got it right when you said uh, veteran. I'm not sure you got it right when you said expert, though. So let's not over-promise, uh, you know, yeah. uh, to the audience here today. Well, I, I, listen, I'm sure I'm not over my ski tips, Jay. Uh, we're all, you know, I guess I, I heard, you know, Cindy Wilson, uh, I work with her. She's head of corporate marketing, and I love the phrase she used the other day when I was talking to her. She says, you know, we all have our superpowers, right, whatever they are. So I'm sure... You too have yours, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. So, Jay, before you know we get into much, why don't you just take a few minutes and do the cursory background, who you are, what you're doing now, and, and, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, well, um, I, my superpower is luck, by the way. Um, so, you know, I, I've been in security, like, like many of us probably here, um, they're listening, you know, for about 20 years, though. I actually just by coincidental, you know, I, I, I cut my teeth in security in, in the late 90s uh, at Checkpoint just for a short stint um, and uh, then went on to, to work for uh, at the time, which was Checkpoint's largest uh, reseller and integrator, a company called Netrix Secure Solutions. Um, and then uh, and then from there. Uh, after ISS bought us, uh, moved on to, to Nokia and spent about 10 years at Nokia, various jobs. In the last four years, I was running corporate IT security globally for the firm um, until I went off to Equifax uh, for a few years back when it was the only bureau that hadn't been breached uh, in 2010. I'm feel really sorry for what they've had to go through because it, it is a great company. But I was their international security officer. Until Blackstone convinced me to come over to be their first CISO, 
um, where I uh, also worked with uh, investments in the early stage, uh, you know, security companies, and worked with private equity in a later stage uh, buyouts and cybersecurity as well. Um, until I started to uh, to step down and I don't know, go over to the dark side, go over to the fun side, or just do something different. I don't really know how you describe it, but uh, decided to co-found my uh, Clear Sky Security uh, with a few partners uh, in January of 2017. And uh, kind of fast forward today, you know, we're um, we're we're uh, a three hundred twenty million dollar early stage venture fund. Um, we're if not the most, we're amongst the most active early stage investors in cybersecurity since we started uh, the fund. Wow. That's great. And, uh, yeah, and, and uh, not just making a lot of investments, we've had five realizations in the past fifteen months, and so yeah, that's congratulations on that. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. So I have to ask you, you know, I remember we were talking uh, and you had mentioned, um, I think you said, if you ever wonder why there's a sock somewhere, uh, it's because of the acquisition. I, what was that? It was about IBM and, and uh, that's why yeah. they've got a sock. What was that? Yeah, if you ever wonder why there's a SOC in Southfield, Michigan, that's because Netrix Secure Solutions was uh, headquartered in Southfield, Michigan. So, you know, it's kind of amazing, you know, where, you know, that was, uh, Netrix was, you know, bought by ISS, and ISS by IBM. So that's kind of the, the transition there for young folks maybe on the, the podcast yeah. here. But, uh, but yeah, it's the reason why there's just a random sock up there. It kind of goes back to Netrix. We were... You know, what we claim to be at the time, I think is probably true, you know, the first MSSP uh, in North America. If we weren't, we were amongst the first. And I think we were definitely the first, though, to do an international deployment in Japan without ever having sent anybody on site. You know, this is back wow. in 99. It was like a huge accomplishment, yeah. you know, back in the day. You know, today you wouldn't even think of it doing any other way. Isn't it but, remarkable? I mean, you know, it just sometimes I think being in this business like you for a long time, in fact, I think that was when you and I first met, when you were briefly at Checkpoint, because just after the acquisition of MediInfo, it's really unbelievable when you take a step back, especially when you hold the yardstick for our industry up to other industries, man, the pace, the change the advancements, right? I mean, I think about, you know, it wasn't that long ago I, I, at my home anyway, I would buy an iTunes movie and then I'd have to see how long it was going to be before I could watch it. Now, I, that ha doesn't happen. So, I mean, those advancements that we've seen, so, you know, you talk about the young ones. I mean, there's just some amazing things we've been able to experience. Absolutely. I mean, hey, I, you know, I was an early Netflix guy and getting those DVDs in the mail. I remember, you know, <laughs> exactly. It's like crazy. Right. And, and, and sometimes I think we uh, we have to pull our reins. We being uh, people in this industry and, and all you have to do is have a conversation with a person next to you on the plane or sitting next to you at some public place and. And you really quickly realize our vision, view, understanding of this space, what we call technology, the cloud, and all these other things, you know, and you referencing back to the, one of the first managed service providers, you know, I mean, sure, Starbucks has a cloud macchiato today, so everybody hears cloud, but do you think they really understand it like you and I do? Yeah, no, that's for sure. I, I you know... 
Uh, I, I won't uh, name the, the name of the politician. It's not one of the United States. It's one down south of, of the U.S., but it, and uh, it's in a foreign language, so maybe a lot of people don't realize it. But uh, it was a uh, politician was running and and uh, you know was trying to make a statement, and it was like, I want to figure out what this cloud thing is, and I want to see the cloud so I can, you know, they're because they're talking about cloud regu- putting regulation around it. Right. Like, I want to, I want, I want to see this cloud thing. I was like, uh, doesn't that kind of just? Business. I mean, yeah. that should absolutely <laughs> scare the bejeebies out of us, right? Oh, I know. Oh my God. So it's, well, you know, I, I I remember another conversation you and I had that I thought would be fun, uh, and it, it had to do with. Uh, depth and breadth of the of the level of aptitude, if you will, or understanding of technology, because you know the millennials, the the natives, I call them, the ones that have have no idea what it's like to live without connectivity and bandwidth. You know, they they know so much about everything, but man, their depth, right? Hey, can you self assign an IP address? They don't really even understand a mask is what they wore last night at a party, right? There was a story. Well, you had a story about a, we won't name names, but I think you had an intern that was actually going to school. You had a funny story about, uh, about yeah. uh, him or her. Can you share that? Yeah, I had an intern a number of years ago, actually, really smart individual, uh, you know, in a very predominant school, junior, between going into senior year, you know, summer before. And uh, remember, you and know, what, and oops, going to school for what, Jay? Degree in mobile security forensics. I mean, so okay. let's talk. <laughs> I want to, I mean, that this isn't uh, political science, right? I mean, this no, is somebody no, in this no. space. Yeah, very much so, you know, and, and it was just a test. It was, something just became so obvious. It was like, wow, we really aren't teaching the fundamentals. Because I grew up building computers from scratch and pulling Cat5 cable and terminating f- multi-mode fiber and installing Novell servers and Windows NT servers and all that stuff from scratch, right? And yep. We were troubleshooting something, and and it was uh, and telling this individual, it was like, okay, well, you know, see if you can if you can ping uh, uh, local host. And the individual was like, local host. It's like, you know, 127.001. And so they proceed to type in 127.001. Like, no, 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 127.0.0.1. And they're like, okay, what's that? It's like, that's local host. It's like, oh, my God, really? You know? <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's just the basic fundamentals because all of the underlying infrastructure just automatically appears for us these yep. days. And yep. very few people, I think, you know, are, are really – have to take the time to understand the fundamentals and what a server platform is built on and how they all work together because it's all just software defined and happens through code. And yes. You don't really understand it. And I, it's a real risk that we're running into with kind of the next generation and not to pick on the next generation. It's not their fault. We have done a very bad job as an industry and as an academic education system of reminding people the fundamentals. And if you think about protecting you know, an, an enterprise organization, you need to really understand what your applications are running on top of or sitting on, you know, s- sitting on top of. So whenever you're under attack or you're defending something, you you know the fundamentals of what can get broken underneath that ultimately could impact you, you yeah. know. And I think as we think about cloud, that's just made it that much more blurry because AWS or Azure or GCP or whomever 
you know, just takes care of it for you. And uh, that's a real danger, I think, as we think as we go forward in the future, if, if we don't kind of rotate backwards a little bit and, and make sure that people are, are grasping the fundamentals. Completely agree, Jay. In fact, the cloud exacerbates that blurriness through things like containers, Lego Lincoln logs in the sky where yep. I, I don't have to understand any of these things. I just grab one of those little squares and plug it into one of those little triangles and cut a boom bang. I just wrote an application, right? I mean, it's really scary. It's exciting, but it's also scary. So I think, you know, the fact that people don't understand uh, what's happening under the covers, so to speak, from an infrastructure perspective, we're further blurring that and I think we have talked about this before. You know, the acronym doesn't seem to be widely known anymore. RTFM, right? Right. Right. I mean, it's fine. Isn't that what the F means? Yeah. You're right. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I think I, I had mentioned before, I saw a meme where it literally said, if your application requires documentation, you're a, you know, I mean, you're, you're a programmer. And it was like, wow, this is, this is the tragedy of undo, right? right? Because that's what, I mean, how many times do you look at any documentation now? You know, you fire up a new app, you, you load it, whatever, and you just start clicking and pointing and uh -oh, oh, undo. And that's, yeah. I think, a real consequence. Yeah, no. And I mean, this whole concept of like, you know, infrastructure is just all done in code. And so is this being done now by a developer? You know, you're just thinking about it in code and not necessarily the underlying implications of what it could have. You know, I mean, one of our one of our companies that we invested in over the summer is a company called App Omni, and it helps you secure your enterprise SaaS apps. And so, you know, apps like Salesforce or Box or Dropbox or Yep. You know, G Suite, you know, SaaS apps like such as that. And and as you think about that, securing those apps, you're like, well, the the you know, Salesforce takes care of that for me. Um, and it does and to a certain degree. However, you know, what one of the things that we run into and we see all the time when we do like risk assessments for um, you know, uh, for our customers is like, yeah, uh, the platform itself is very secure. However, you're connecting to some third party and you're sharing your C a dump of your CRM, for instance, with a uh, third party that's completely legit and you want to share it with them, you know, and the developer actually is pushing code. It's not even visible in a UI. Uh, you know, the changes that are being made to, to set that third-party connection. Yep. And whenever the developer says, Shamad777, i.e., for people who don't understand what that means, um, I'm, I'm going to share this with anyone on the Internet and everybody possible, you know, on the Internet, uh, if they if they see this. Uh, of course, it works with that third party. It also works with the rest of the world. Right, you know? right. And, and uncovering those things and, and it is almost impossible to do at scale because – those things are just being done in code. They're not necessarily a configuration change. They are a code push that might happen four times a day. You raise a really great point. Four times a day. This is this is the world we're moving to. It's no longer are we in these dev cycles where you know you've got this long lead time and numbers at the end of the product that give you some kind of indication of its major or minor. Now this stuff's just coming out, and there's new stuff all the time, and you really have no idea and 
And the other thing that I think is interesting is two things. One, Salesforce has an extensive third-party network, right? I mean, they've got a whole host of companies that, you know, integrate with Salesforce. So are we checking every one of those companies? That's one. And the abundant and seemingly increasing use of open source that also, you know, it's that double-edged sword of it's great, but man, you know, code is code. That means there's a human being that wrote it. I don't think we've got to the point yet where it's getting written perfectly somewhere, right? It's not divine code. No, no, you're, you're, you're hundred percent correct. You know? And, and so, I mean, uh, you know, it's people just assume though, when I stand up, you know, a SaaS application that, you know, it's secure by default, you know what I mean? And, 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 and there's a lot of things that are taken care of for you, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of, there's that customer responsibility matrix and the customer component of it that's so easy to still screw up. And yet we, um, you know, we find that a lot of organizations that's being managed by some business person. It's not even, you know, IT oversight, much less security oversight, right? Because it's just so easy for the business person to go get their job done. And people are happy when the job gets done. And they kind of forget about it. Yep. And um, and this is uh, this proliferation of kind of shadow IT in a lot of different ways and even in, in by design ways, you know, in, in the case of maybe a Salesforce thing is, is something that we just haven't got our hands around uh, as an industry. And um, I think it's going to be a while before we actually do. Yeah. So, you know, I spoke at a, a ISACA conference down in San Francisco at the NICO uh, earlier this week. It was terrific. Had a great audience. And there was some interesting conversation that we got into as I was discussing the Gartner statistic that's so widely known. It's been publicized quite a bit. But for those that haven't heard it, I'll repeat it. It says that at least 95% of all public cloud failures between now and 2022 are going to be the customer's fault. And so I had that up on the slide, and a gentleman, Mark, raised his hand, and he had started off, by the way, by saying, you're preaching to the choir with me today, Grant, we're a company that's 100% cloud. But he brought up, I thought, a really interesting point, and I'd just like to get your comments on this. He said, is this really fair? Do you support that quote? And I said, well, I do believe that all roads are going to lead back to human error. That's not to say that uh, the X point won't be a result of my error, but it wasn't me, right? Somebody hacked in somewhere else and then took advantage of it because I didn't encrypt the data, for example. But he said, you know, don't you feel that's a part of the shared responsibility that the vendors have an obligation, and he was speaking specifically of the cloud vendors, an obligation to go back and say, does, is this the smartest thing to default unencrypted? Shouldn't we default encrypted? Or shouldn't we put a big yellow highlight across that option when you're on that page so that you're really making the smart decision and seeing it? And I thought, you know, that's an interesting perspective. Uh, how much is it on the back of... Microsoft or Google or Amazon to protect you from you. You know, I I I, I, I see both sides. All right, and, and and not to try to peddle our investments, but I, I want to give you some statistics from one of my other companies called CloudNox that really helps you secure 
both your on-prem and in the public cloud infrastructure. So GCP, Azure, AWS, and uh, VMware on-prem. And, you know, when we first invested in them in Q3 of 2018, they were talking about how those four disparate environments had approximately 20,000 unique permissions. Um, and today, there's over 40,000 unique permissions. It's, it's doubled in just a little over a year. And why? It's because of all the feature functionality that they're bringing out. The customers want customers demand. Yep. Customers are, are demanding and requesting for new function, new functionality and new features. And it's not enough to put a, a, a red box or a yellow box and say, are you sure you want to do this? It's just scary. A lot of that stuff isn't even visible. Again, as I said about the Salesforce example, it's not even visible in any UI. It's being configured in code. It's being configured programmatically. Yep. And so it's it's really up to the developer to do it properly. You know, and, and, what and that's, that's to be clear, these are some of the absolute rich and extremely attractive attributes of the cloud, right? I mean, the fact that it is so API and uh, driven, so much automation is, is available. I mean, it really has some great promise, but there's also some risk and consequence, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, what we find, you know, there is that CloudNox allows you to be able to implement this concept of least privilege which is something we talk about, but it's really hard to do and yep. it's seldom ever done. And what we find is that for your privileged users, the average, the, the concept of using role-based access control in the cloud completely fails. So it gets 20 year old, it's a 20 year old concept or 30 or 40 year old concept, maybe, you know, that hasn't been revamped. And you're just taking a template of the guy next to you or the gal next to you and saying, oh, that's good enough for them. It's good enough for me. Yeah, and using what, a buggy whip to make your car go faster. Exactly. And so and this is just, you know, and so you have to think about it differently. It reminds me of the Henry Ford statement. It says, if I would have asked my customers what they would have wanted, I would, they would have said a faster horse. Exactly. Right? Yep. And so that's and that's the reason why we're, we're, we're using our back. Right. And so what we find, it, you know, in, in all of our risk assessments and in our customer base that we've been working with across CloudNox is the average um, a privileged user only uses about 1% of the privileges that they've been granted throughout their entire lifetime. Uh, you know, they're associated with that particular uh, cloud platform. And furthermore, about 50% of the permissions that are not being used are high-risk privileges. Exactly. Things that like destroy VPC yeah. or I think a really dangerous one. You don't have destroy VPC, but you have the permission to give yourself the permission to destroy <laughs> VPC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And talk about that being in the hands of the wrong person and, and, and compromised account, blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. And so, so I think like, you know, implementing uh, what, what we call activity based access control, where you can profile what someone's done in the past 30, 60, 90 days, one year, deem that as normal and prune that back. To what they really need, and then provide just-in-time privileging for break glass situations, or for that once a month between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. I need this one privilege, and adding it and taking it back very granularly. Those kind of capabilities are, are things that you have to do, and you have to be able to do it at scale and automated in order to be able to to manage, you know, the the proliferation of. All of this stuff that we're demanding as customers because we're going so much faster, you know, in a cloud infrastructure than we are in traditional on-prem legacy infrastructure. Yeah, you know what I call that? I call that the the, the janitor 
mentality or approach. That's what we used to do, right? Give them a key ring that has a key for everything. And uh, that's how it was in the data center. You had a console for everything. You know, Checkpoint's position on this is not just zero trust, but absolute zero trust. And it's very similar in that you're, you know, uh, Roy, uh, one of the co-founders of Dome 9, has a great presentation on YouTube. It's called The Perimeter is Dead, Long Live the Perimeter. But it's the, the, the notion that we need to throw out I'll let you have, if you're inside the circle, then you get anything that's inside, i.e. you're part of the uh, uh, security team or the IT team, you get it all. And it really needs to get pruned back to, as you just said, what do you need, right? Are you, do you manage the, the database? Are you a, a, a DBA? Okay, then you don't need access to the database or anything related to it, as an example, right? So it's definitely, a di- but, you know, what I hear from people is it's harder, right? It's, it's harder, and I think it's exciting that there are new tools like the ones you're talking about that really are simplifying those aspects because we need to turn that corner, man. We, we need to turn that corner. Yeah, I mean, well, we've, yeah, 100%, um, you know, and I think, you know, it's, it, as we think about in, investing in startups, I'll tell you, in an area there's that has just been underinvested in is companies are, sorry, underinvested in is the wrong statement. There's not enough innovation coming from entrepreneurs right now where they are making the assumption that you're going to live in a hybrid world for the rest of our careers. And I'm speaking to the youngest person listening to this when I say the rest of our careers. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you would not have an on-prem solution come out from AWS if they didn't say it's by design, things are going to stay on-prem, right? As much as it's by design, things are going to get pushed to the cloud. And so we have to start thinking about this hybrid state that we're going to live in that, you know, we build it for hybrid and we don't think about trying to port something from on-prem to on to in the cloud or try to figure out how they on in the cloud kind of applies even on-prem we architecturally by design security by design it by design think this thing through and right now we're not doing that there's this velocity of everything's going to the cloud and then we're realizing like hold on everything really go to the cloud a lot of stuff went to the cloud jay you know, I, you know one of the things that i i i've been advocating uh, that I'm a big believer that's happening and, and you're hitting right on it. And I think this is great uh, advice for any of those that are listening and thinking about getting out in your own game. You know, the f- when you're talking about the lack of innovation and really understanding, I think we're at a time where we can almost uh, take the Etch-A-Sketch and turn it over and shake it like hell and start fresh and say, what are some constants that we've never been able to say before? Connectivity, constant. Bandwidth, constant. Unlimited compute, constant. How does that change the game from an architectural design on how my program, my application works? Where's the data reside? Where's it come from? I think you can really... Uh, you know, kind of rethink it all because now if it makes more sense to query 10 petabytes of data, obviously it's going to be in the cloud, but I'm not going to care because it's going to be able to deliver the answer so fast. You know what I mean? So that's where it seems like we can change. Right. No, I, uh, 
I, I, I completely agree. It's kind of transformative, I think, right now. I mean, there's some exciting potential, but it doesn't seem like people are coming out with stuff. I mean, you know, every time, Jay, through our career, as, as each year Moore's Law pushed the capability of the machine, I mean, now it's so fast that it's hard to see the improvements. But back then, man, you couldn't wait for that new, you know, that 286 or the 386, right? I mean, you just couldn't wait because it was so much faster. And then you saw this flood of applications that just taxed the new capabilities. I want to see somebody come out with a new solution that is just radically different and leverages that uh, we're always connected with high band model. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I know everyone knows this, but with 5G on the horizon, it's it's coming at us right now. The band bandwidth that we're going to have sitting in our pocket is just going to be you Cuckoo. know incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, Nuts. no kidding. Listen, I know you've got other stuff going on, and so man, I can't tell you. I love talking with you, Jay. I hope we can have you back. It's a lot of fun, and uh, who knows? Maybe one of our listeners will come up with a cool idea, and, and will reach out to us, and uh, you'll be having them in your portfolio in the future. But thank you very, very much for spending so much time with me today. Great. Thanks, Grant. Really appreciate it. So thanks so much, everyone. Another episode of Talking Clouds in the Books. Thank you very much for joining. I hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.